Hello, my name is Michael Nittleman, and I'm the current Stanford ABC News Global Health Media Fellow. And you're listening to episode two of a podcast that I'm calling Acoustic Nerve, about the intersection between media and medicine. In this month's episode, we're talking about public health and advertising. What makes an effective public health message? I mean, how do you get people to care about this stuff as much as you do? So this all started because uh, I've been working at the World Health Organization in New Delhi for the past two months. And one of the things that fell into my lap was a film script. The WHO has this big anti-tobacco campaign, and as part of it, they decided to outsource a short animated video on tobacco policies in Southeast Asia. And so I got the script, and I was reading through it, and I don't know, just something didn't really feel right to me. So later that day, for lunch, uh, I'm in the canteen with Kate Long. Now, Kate's a doctoral student at the Boston University School of Public Health. And as I'm talking with her, she essentially outlines the pattern that many of these public health PSA type of commercials fall into. I think the public health recipe is tell people how big the problem is with numbers and then scare them into behaving better. We've all heard these ads and they generally follow the same formula, which I like to remember by the acronym SPIT. So just hear me out on this one. S is for statistic. We start by telling people how big the problem is. P is for prediction. And then we talk about um, how the problem's growing at these crazy rates. I is for intimidation. Millions of people are dying. You will probably die unless you do what we say. And T is for telling people what to do. And then we go into our messages about how we can maybe change the direction of things. Here's a dated uh, Australian ad from 1987 that features the Grim Reaper bowling over groups of people with a giant bowling ball. At first, only gays and IV drug users were being killed by AIDS. But now we know every one of us could be devastated by it. S is for statistic. The fact is, over 50,000 men, women, and children now carry the AIDS virus. E is for prediction. That in three years, nearly 2,000 of us will be dead. I is for intimidation. That if not stopped, it could kill more Australians than World War II. And T is for telling people what to do. But AIDS can be stopped, and you can help stop it. If you have sex, have just one safe partner, or always use condoms. Always. Kate argues that people in public health are actually trained to think this way. In the papers we write, in the abstracts we publish, in the talks that we give. Yeah, we, we constantly see these abstract numbers and probabilities being used to respond to real, tangible problems. Which right now we're kind of just on our little, like, stumps of righteousness saying that (laughs) the evidence will convince people when in fact it does not. So we were sitting in the canteen and you were telling me about this project and um, it kind of sparked some memories in my mind um, about a talk I'd heard a few years ago about how in general the public health community is fabulous at generating evidence and 
coming up with estimates of burden of disease and risk factors, but we're really horrible at communicating those messages to the public. So I went back and I, I found this talk that Kate was referring to. It's by Tina Rosenberg, and she's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who writes about the role of peer pressure in getting people to change their behavior. Why do people change? They're unlikely to change their behavior because they learn something new. They're unlikely to change their behavior because somebody scares them. But it's a little more complicated than that. It's not just that we're creating these ineffective ads that people are ignoring. We're actually taking steps back. I mean, these ads are counterproductive. One of the problems is that we unintentionally normalize things by making it sound like everyone has these issues. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they have ads aimed at teenagers saying alcohol is the number one drug abused by teenagers. Well, all this does is make the social norm one of bad behavior. You don't want to normalize bad behavior. You want to marginalize it. For example, with diabetes, we say, you know, the prevalence is rising, everyone's getting it, the risk factors are diet and exercise. And instead of causing people to act, what we do is we make people feel like, well, everyone's getting diabetes, so I'm actually just one of the crowd. I'm in line with the direction of things. And I think it makes people feel helpless and maybe somewhat apathetic and disinterested. And a lot of ads do this just by dialing up the emotion, making things super intense, but there's no additional substance. They just want to kind of compete with this very busy world that we live in with lots and lots of ads. Okay, so we know what doesn't work, but what does? This question led me back to my home state. This is the end of part one. Please turn over your cassette and we'll see you next week for part two. Uh, this podcast, Acoustic Nerve, is produced thanks to the Stanford Center for Innovation and Global Health. Thank you to Kate Long for joining me on this journey so far. Uh, thanks to Lauren Pichel for her work on this episode. Coming soon, we'll dissect one of the most successful public health campaigns in U.S. history. And we'll visit a woman here in Delhi by the name of Urvashi Guha. Uh, she's Senior Vice President at DDB Mudra, which is one of the largest advertising agencies in India. In the meantime, you can read the entire written piece on cinemedical.com. That's C-I-N-E medical.com. Uh, Kate, why don't you sign us off today? I find it really interesting that you went into public health with a humanities background as well. But before I got into any of public health stuff, I studied religion for four years and music. And I think that was initially a very odd fit for me. Um, but now I'm seeing how those years dedicated to the study of ideas and the way that ideas impact people's lives at the most intimate, radical levels, um, I think has enabled me to bring that a little bit into my work in public health. With music by Chad Crouch and Celia Cruz.